0: Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Well, it seems like ISIS has some competition in the spreading terror department because there are some new kids on the block, Uh, domestic terrorists or not even, I mean, we're sort of calling them in a general sense, domestic terrorists. But some of them actually don't have a particular political or social agenda. Uh, they are just very mentally disturbed. Well, they are all pretty much mentally disturbed, but um, but they are not all. Uh, they haven't all pledged allegiance to ISIS. In fact, they have other reasons for spreading terror, such as uh, immigration, wanting to. Um, Uh, get immigrants out of the country, Wanting, particularly the the, um, shooter in El Paso, Texas, wanted to get Mexicans out of the country. So um, today we're going to look at what makes a domestic terrorist and uh, some of these most recent domestic terrorists. We're going to talk about the Gilroy shooter and the El Paso shooter and the Ohio shooter. Now, the Ohio shooter, as I was starting to say, that is the one who had personal reasons for um, his shooting spree uh, rather than social agendas. Um, But let's talk first about uh, domestic terrorists in general. Now, domestic terrorists can, in fact, of course, be people who are lone wolves or teen girls who are... um, Seduced into becoming jihadi brides. Um, I mean, they don't usually, well, I shouldn't say that, that we have had stories of women, they weren't teens, but women who um, were radicalized uh, because of men who seduced them, basically, um, and who perpetrated or want or plan to perpetrate acts of terror. So, you know, there have been, of course, terrorists um, just, you know, radicalized on the internet. Uh, pledged allegiance to ISIS or Al-Qaeda and perpetrated various acts of terror in the U.S. And so, for example, of course, we have um, the San Bernardino shooting, the Orla- Orlando nightclub shooting. Um, and then, you know, they, in each of those, they uh, pledged their allegiance to, um, to ISIS or Al-Qaeda of course, there was the Boston Marathon bombing as well. But then there have been other kinds of terrorist uh, attacks, domestic terrorist attacks, where they didn't pledge their allegiance to a terrorist organization. They were just uh, perpetrating terror for their various social uh, or or uh, political agendas. So there's, there's sort of a distinction there. Um, And of course, the the main distinction is the ones who aren't pledging allegiance to ISIS or Al-Qaeda have their personal social or political agendas, you know, that that, uh, on their own, they decide to do this. So we're going to be talking about the ones that just took place in these recent weeks and why they took place. I think the psychological, uh, I love to do do psychological studies of these shooters um, to see what went wrong, where they where they got off the beaten track, um, particularly the ones in these recent weeks uh, weren't, had no, it had nothing to do, well, I shouldn't say actually that it had nothing to do with ISIS or Al-Qaeda, because um, it, there is no question that uh, this rash of an increase in uh, shooters, active shooters, domestic terrorist uh, attacks, you know, people people just taking guns or doing other kinds of, um, creating some other kinds of attacks, so whether they pledge their allegiance to ISIS or not, they are certainly influenced by uh, seeing all of the actual ISIS or Al-Qaeda. And of course, it's been more ISIS in recent years. Um, but seeing those attacks have certainly been a stimulus, an inspiration, if you will, to people who just, you know, a guy with a gun, um, like, we saw, like we saw in El Paso, Texas. You know, they, they are, uh, they show the real terrorists, You know, um, show these other people how it can be done and, and particularly show them how much attention you get if you perpetrate some kind of an attack. So even though they haven't, some of the, the ones I'm going to be talking to you about today, even though they have not um, pledged their allegiance to a terrorist group, they certainly have been influenced and encouraged and provoked by seeing just how successful the real terrorists, I'll call them, uh, have been. So let's talk about this. Um, You know, first of all, the the definition in the U.S. of domestic terrorism, it's changed many times over the years. Uh, According to the USA Patriot Act, it includes such a domestic terrorist or acts of domestic terrorism involve acts that are dangerous to human life, that are a violation of the criminal laws of the U.S. or of any state, appear to be intended to intimidate or coerce the civilian population, or to influence the policy of a government by intimidation or coercion, or to affect the conduct of a government by mass destruction, assassination, or kidnapping, and occur primarily within, of course, the U.S. So with that definition, um, you know, that's how it can be applied to some of the of the uh, events that have recently occurred, even though these people had nothing to do other than being influenced, as I said, by terrorists, by real terrorists. Okay, so let's look at the uh, at the, um, the Gilroy shooter, uh, these three shooters. Now, before we start looking at each one, uh, let me ask you, when you heard about these three different events, Gilroy, then, Uh, El Paso and then Ohio. Did you think to yourself ho-hum another mass shooting? Or did you think, damn, (laughs) this is getting scary. I'm not going to go out anywhere uh, where there are lots of people because you can't, you don't know where it's going to happen next. Well, you might have actually thought both, not necessarily at the same time. But, um, What happens to most people is that they have what's called cognitive dissonance. That is, um, it's a dissonance. It's two, your mind is thinking two different things. So on the one hand, you may be in denial of how dangerous the world is and desensitized because there has been one mass shooting after another. But on another level of your mind, um, most likely your unconscious level, you are actually frightened. Now, so for some people, and I'll tell you about that, for some people recently, it wasn't just on an unconscious level. Uh, In Times Square, for example, um, there were people who panicked because of a motorcycle uh, sound uh, that went off. It sounded like a gunshot. We'll get to that. But let me, um, let's talk, let's start first with... um, well, again, talking about all of them, the, the the thing that all of them have in common, again, I'm talking about the, these three now, these recent three, um, the Garlic Festival shooter, Patrick Cruces from El Paso and Connor Betts from Ohio. What they had in common is uh, that they were angry. <laughs> that is what uh, shooters have in common. Even real terrorists, of course, are angry. Uh, so, all right, let's start with the with the Gilroy shooter or the Garlic Festival shooter. And in fact, when he was asked when he right as he was starting to do his shooting spree uh in Gilroy, California at the Garlic Festival, he was asked why he was doing this. Someone near him, he, you know, he took out his gun and he started to shoot or he was about to start to shoot and someone nearby asked him, "Why are you doing this?" And he said, "Because I'm really angry." And that is the problem. There's an epidemic of rage in America and in the world uh, that starts in childhood. Now, of course, this is more, well, actually, it can be considered for all of these shooters. Um, When kids are abused, neglected, or simply don't get the love they need, they ultimately explode in tragedy. Of course, with real terrorists, it's a little more complicated. But still, what they all share is this anger. And for the ones, the domestic terrorists in the U.S., who I'm talking about today, um, there is some family, something in their growing up, something in their childhood, caused them to be very, very angry. And surely part of it at least has to do with their parents. There could be also some things in regard to um, being bullied and things like the Ohio shooter, but that's a whole other story that I'll tell you about. Anyhow, the Garlic Festival shooter... Um, he his name was Santino William Legan, and he uh, he was nineteen, and he um there was a he had some interesting Instagram posts, and he there was a person who answered his Instagram post who made a comment on his Instagram, um, whose name was whose screen name was Footboyden. And he replied to Santino and he wrote, when you get too wasted and accidentally shoot up festival. Now that was, you know, and I, I wrote, a, I tweeted about it. And I said that I hoped, uh, I hope the police are looking for this person who has this screen name, because um, they were, originally they were thinking there might be an accomplice. And uh, certainly it seemed like this this guy who replied, uh, they took down that Instagram. They took down, for all of these shooters, they take down their social media pretty quickly. So, um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break now, and we'll go back to all of these three different shooters and what they have in common uh, and what they don't. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I got so carried away <laughs> in the first segment uh, telling you about all of these different terrorists, so many terrorists, so little time. Uh, we 're talking today about ISIS uh, not being the only kid on the block to spread terror. In fact, uh, there have been recent terror attacks where um, domestic terrorists have been spreading terror in uh, California, in El Paso, Texas, and in ohio so i was I was talking about the garlic Festival. Uh, shooter, Santino William Leggin, and uh, how I had tweeted about um, wanting the police to look into this guy whose name, whose screen name was Foot Boyden. (laughs) Um, And so after any of these shooting attacks, uh, of course, one of the first things that happens is that people take down the social media postings of the shooter. And so... um, so it wasn't really clear whether it seemed th- that this person, Footboyden, Boyden, who posted, when you get too wasted and accidentally shoot up festival, seemed to know something ahead of time uh, before the shooting happened. But I guess it's possible that he got in under the wire and that he knew already what had happened. But if he didn't know, then he, he knew uh, that, these, that William, that Santino, had these plans, and he knew that ahead of time. Of course, Santino was killed during the um, his shooting, so we won't really, we may not know. When, and I doubt Footboyden is going to come forward, but certainly I hope the police do look into him. In any case, it's coming out just recently that um, this uh, garlic shooter had a target list. It wasn't just he wasn't just planning on shooting up the garlic festival. Uh, he so he and now a an investigation is being launched, um, a full domestic terrorism investigation because this target list has surfaced. Uh, he wanted to uh, attack. Religious institutions, federal buildings, courthouses, political organizations from both political parties, and the Gilroy uh, Garlic Festival. It's interesting that he chose that first. Um, and and then he got killed. He might well have thought that that was the easiest target to hit. He, he managed to sneak in. You know, they did have some security, But he snuck in through a fence, and that's how he was able to get his um, rifle in there. So, and friends of his, or people who knew him in school, thought of him as not being anything out of the ordinary. You know, they didn't really um, suspect that he would, (laughs) he wasn't voted most likely to shoot up the Garlic Festival, in other words. Uh, let's go to the next one, the um, the El Paso terrorist, whose name is Patrick Crucius, domestic terrorist. No connection that has surfaced now, and, I, and he's alive. I don't think anything will surface although actually let me take that back to some degree i mean i don't think he was uh, affiliated with isis or al-qaeda but he did say that he was inspired by the new zealand shooter uh, who apparently has inspired inspired several uh, subsequent shootings his name was patrick crucius as i said he was 21 years old he seems like he was just a depressed social outcast with no real ambition he just wanted to get by um he, he 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 talked about he he posted these are things that he posted i looked i somehow managed to find um postings and and articles about that got to his uh, social media postings before he they were taken down and um so there was mention of getting a letter from his school about being drunk in class. So he was uh, not really a very ambitious guy. He talked about spending eight hours a day on the computer. Don't know whether those were uh, whether that was looking up <laughs> the news or um, or most likely it was things uh, looking up websites that have um, hate messages on it because he himself wrote a manifesto and posted it on a hate website. And his man, in his manifesto, he complained about Mexicans in Texas and immigrants in general. At first, they didn't know whether the manifesto was real, you know, belonged to him, whether he had written it or whether it was a hoax, whether there were people. I mean, now these things, these shootings have just gotten so out of hand that now people, um, also people wanting attention, are making up manifestos, you know, so that even though they didn't, uh, you know, to make it look like this was the shooter's manifesto, to get the, their kicks out of having this go in the media, you know, and knowing that they were the one who posted the manifesto. Um, so that was investigated to rule out that it was a hoax, and it wasn't a hoax. It was actually his manifesto, a very hate filled manifesto. So basically, um, Patrick Crucius was a disenfranchised kid who got access to a gun. Uh, and it, what just came out recently is that the mother, his mother, you know, I've been railing against the parents of these shooters uh, about where were the parents. And it turns out that not that not that this excuses the parents of Patrick Crucius by any means, but it turns out that the mother, his mother contacted the police to say that her son had a gun and the police just totally ignored her. They didn't take her name or the name of her son. They didn't come out to investigate. They just, they told her that the son had it legally. I'm not sure I Guess she gave them some, uh, I don't even, it's not clear whether she gave them, how much information she gave them, but they certainly didn't investigate it. That is for sure. Uh, Let's see. He's in his, um, he, he has a twin sister and other siblings. He lived with his family. Uh, he lived nine hours away from El Paso, so clearly it would seem that he chose El Paso for um, it being, you know, the store in El Paso as being most likely to uh, have a lot of Mexicans in it, more than close, more than where he lived, and and that was his aim, literally, to get rid of the Mexicans who were invading Texas, according to him. Um, He went into a Walmart, and so, you know, a Walmart in El Paso seemed to him where he could shoot the most Mexicans. Now, of course, the media uh, jumped on this and blamed it on President Trump because, um, you know, for anything, any kind of a shooting, (laughs) they try to blame him on Trump. And um, they blamed it on him both for not banning guns and for trying to control immigration. And therefore, you know, anybody who takes a gun and shoots up people, somehow they think that it's okay to blame on Trump. Uh, and what was really interesting about this case is that Patrick wrote um, that he thought that they were gonna blame Trump and that it has nothing to do with Trump, that he wasn't, you know, influenced by Trump to, to hate uh, Mexicans or any other immigrants then um uh let's see well that's pretty much that that's pretty much uh the main things that i have to say about him um let's go to ohio we're gonna we're about ready to go to ohio and now ohio so unlike the garlic festival shooter and the El Paso shooter, who did have agendas, uh, social political agendas for their shootings. The Ohio shooter, Connor Betts, had much more personal reasons for his um, shooting and much more evidence of mental health issues. So when we come back, we will talk about Connor Betts, his story, why he uh, perpetrated this shooting attack, and then also I'm going to tell you about this motorcycle causing panic in Times Square, and that is essentially my point in saying that terrorists have competition. You know, the point of any terrorist, the point of ISIS and Al Qaeda, um, any their their terror attacks, are to spread terror. To uh, destroy, you know, to um, make the US and and the West uh, dissolve in a state of panic. And what is interesting is what's happening is that these other kinds of terrorists, domestic terrorists, or just mentally ill people with guns, uh, are creating this terror and taking. taking the, you know, it's no longer the only purview of ISIS and al-Qaeda. So when we come back, we will talk more all about that. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show. We're talking today about terrorists, domestic terrorists, uh, who are giving ISIS and al-Qaeda a run for their money in terms of competing with them to spread terror. Because, I mean, hey, folks, (laughs) if we have people like... um, the El Paso terrorist and the garlic shooter terrorist, domestic terrorists, uh, spreading terror, then what makes an ISIS terrorist that much more scary? I mean, I actually think they are scarier because they are more of the unknown than, I mean, you could could look at it both ways. They are more of the unknown um, in that they, uh, and they're, And they have a whole organization and so on but in another way it's a little scarier that normal people who you think are normal you know the the kid sitting next to you in class uh turns out to then become an active shooter and and spread terror that way so talking about the guy sitting next to you in class that brings us to the third uh, terrorist i'm going to be talking to you about again i i mean You know, this Connor Betts, it's hard to really call him a domestic terrorist, other than the fact that he did, of course, perpetrate a lot of terror in Ohio when he took a gun and started shooting people in front of nightclubs uh, in Dayton, Ohio. Now, the the information that's come out about him, and no, he had nothing to do with ISIS or Al-Qaeda, he was 24 years old. And um, he is someone who is mentally ill and didn't get the help or was mentally ill. He was shot by police, uh, fortunately, before he could kill a a lot more. Fortunately, there were police nearby and they stopped him pretty early in his tracks. Same thing with the garlic. Well, I mean, you know, one person dead is too many. So, Um, so anyhow, Connor Betts. Now... (laughs) I tweeted this uh, thing about him. I've been tweeting up a storm about all of them, but Connor, I wrote Connor Betts, girlfriends knew teachers, knew justice system cagey about what they knew hallucinations, delusions, lists of classmates. He wanted to rape and kill obsession with violence. So where were his parents? Why didn't anyone take him or make him get psychiatric help? Now I'll I'll explain this a little bit more, but that is sort of the summary of Connor Betts. Connor Betts, um, his girlfriends have been coming forward and telling stories about, about him. Uh, how he was, he wasn't shy about telling his girlfriends and presumably possibly other people about how he obsessed with violence. He was. Uh, one of the girlfriends said that on their first date, he showed her clips of a um, mass shooting. <laughs> interesting first date. <laughs> hey, girl, if anybody does that to you, <laughs> run, okay, and report him to the police. Like, duh, you kind of got to wonder about these, these girls as well. I mean, of course, it's become so commonplace these days with uh, all the violent video games and other violent media that people are just desensitized to that, to a Um, a guy talking about, you know, seeming obsessed with violence. I mean, that's unfortunately the norm for a lot of guys these days, teenagers, guys in their twenties. Um, so I guess, you know, she, and she, this girl did eventually, she dated him for a few months and she did break up with him because of his obsession with violence. But, you know, (laughs) let me tell you, anybody who's listening, if you go out on a date with a guy and he's, you know, sharing his, uh, favorite scenes of shootings, uh, run, okay? And tell the police and tell his parents. And by the way, this girl did tell his mother. She said that after she broke up with him, she told his mother about his obsession with violence and, you know, all of the things that she had seen during the months that she was with him. And you would think that the mother would have done something about that. Uh, there was also lots of other news, lots of other red flags before that. He was this. This part is really in 2010 and 2011. Um, he had he wrote on a wall, a bathroom wall in school, uh, the, the names, a hit list of classmates who had bullied him and who he wanted to kill. And he also. Uh, posted in some manner a list of girls who had rejected him who he he had asked out and they rejected him and he wanted to rape them to get back to them on you know because of uh, of what they did because of rejecting him so the high school that he was in um just suspended him for a while but then they let him back in i mean that high school i am sure they're all realizing i hope they are that they literally barely missed a bullet because um it, he just you know his plans his, his fantasies about shooting people did not end they just got a little postponed but um but clearly that could have happened back then in any case um, He also shot his sister. He killed his sister when he started. She was one of the first victims. And also the boy that she was with, the guy she was with, um, who has been reported as her boyfriend um, and sometimes just as a friend. So he told uh, these girlfriends about having uh, hallucinations and delusions and hearing, hearing, you know and and even saying that he thinks he 's mentally ill, he mentioned that he thought he might be bipolar, which uh, may well be true, and obsessive compulsive, which may well be true that isn 't his i mean this this um, his hallucinations and and um, and delusions might well have caught his manic behavior and well his obsessiveness with violence i guess that 's the obsessive compulsiveness obsessed with with um, steeping himself in violence violent media and then before he acted it out um but anyhow you know he he wasn't he wasn't like hiding this so why um why nobody did anything and so so the girlfriends knew as i said and she at least one of them told his parents the teachers knew because of these lists that the school knew about and why they suspended him and then the justice system has been cagey about what kind of a record they have. Like they said that, well, you know, um, when you're the, your records get expunged when you're a minor and that kind of thing. So they, they've been kind of cagey about whether there were, what kind of records there were uh, that might have been more serious. I mean, certainly there should have been the records about his being suspended from school for these hit lists. So... Um, and, and it's, it is said that he didn't want to get psychiatric help because of the stigma, which, of course, is really sad. Um, now, uh, you know, also the fact, that he, the fact that he shot his sister, I mean, surely, he, surely that couldn't have been a coincidence or it couldn't have been that he didn't know that he was shooting his sister. So there had to be some family issues there, uh, including issues with his sister. But, um, I'm sure it is, you know, that if parents, if parents missed his mental illness, you can imagine that there are other things about him that they missed. How much attention were they paying to him altogether that they could have missed all of this? I mean, you know, you don't miss it when someone's having hallucinations and delusions, not, not when they are living in your house, or you certainly shouldn't be missing it. So now getting back, getting to Times Square, as I promised, um, so there was no gunfire, but the fear was very real, and this is um, this is it, it's a it's a clear sign of how people or a, a lot of people in the U.S. are feeling. Again, I was talking about the cognitive dissonance. So the level that is really scared got to express itself uh, recently when there was a motorcycle that um, that went off um and it was just before 10 p.m. and there was um it, there there were this was right near the theaters in times square and so like one theater was playing to kill a mockingbird and this actress was giving her final speech of the night when a nearby motorcycle backfired several times and um that is what made people panic And um, people started screaming and banging on the doors of the theater to get in because they thought that there was a shooter uh, in the middle of the street. And so um, they were trying to storm the theater to get in, to get off the street, to get away from the active shooter. And um, then other people, (laughs) ironically, other people in the audience were fleeing through the emergency doors. And um, then there was another theater nearby that was playing Dear Evan Hansen. And they reacted by locking down the theater. And the cast stayed in their dressing rooms. And it was near Hamilton, the theater that was playing Hamilton. And then, interestingly, there were international tourists who couldn't figure out what we thought was happening as we hid under tables and furiously texted people. This is by, uh, this was said by um, a woman who was a Broadway producer, and she was in the Glasshouse Tavern, which was near Times Square, when a crowd of crying teens and families stampeded through the doors. So um, many of them international tourists who couldn't figure out what, what we thought was happening. So even, I mean, that's, isn't that interesting that now America seems like the scariest place on earth that uh, tourists don't know why we're, running all over the place to get away from an active shooter that fortunately uh, was only a motorcycle. And then there was also something at uh, Disneyland um, at Anaheim in California where there was a kind of a confusion about um, someone heard a boy say that he's got a gun and it's this whole thing there was, there was someone said that that there was a a Disney employee and someone made a veiled threat to a Disney employee that they were going to get a gun and come back. And so um, these people were thrown out of Disneyland, and it, of course, created quite a gefuffle. (laughs) Ah, So now you understand why I am saying that um, these other shooters are giving the terrorists like ISIS and Al-Qaeda a run for their money. So thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. for kids.com terrorism the number four kids.com i'm dr carol your terrorist therapist thank you for listening to the terrorist therapist show on renegade talk radio with your host dr carol we hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer more resilient and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror you can also check out past shows on renegade talk archives for more insights